It was the tradition of the ancient church on the celebration of Easter to greet one another with the words, Christ is risen, and to respond with, He has risen indeed. So, well, there you go. You guys already know what's going on here. So, Christ is risen. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35 this morning. Now, as we come to our text for this morning, I have been reflective of this question of the difference between knowing someone and merely knowing about someone. This question has become ever more relevant in today's digital environment where we are easily deceived into believing that we know people whom we have never actually met. Where it's increasingly easier to have interactions with projections and images and not real people. Over the last month or so, there has been a lot of talk about the AI chatbot called ChatGPT. And one of the more interesting articles I have read about this technology was entitled, What Happens When People Fall in Love with AI? This article was based upon some comments that former Google CEO Eric Schmidt raised about the real possibility that people are going to become deeply emotionally attached to the projections of personality on these AI platforms. Instead of having their emotional needs met by real people, they will interact with a program that will affirm and support them. And while this might seem preposterous, the truth is that we have already become more and more reliant on technology to meet our needs for intimacy. The separation that technology provides from other people mean that we can be vulnerable without the traditional risks associated with such vulnerability. It is so much easier for a young man to ask out a potential girlfriend to the dance over a text message than to look at her face to face and face the real possibility that she will reject him. And then to call off the relationship later by changing his Facebook status than by having a conversation with her. It's so much easier to exchange pictures over Snapchat where you can add a filter and you can make yourself look more attractive than to meet with somebody over coffee and have an unfiltered conversation, blemishes and all. We are being trained to have relationship with images and not people, to know facts and not hearts. But these mediated relationships, while easier in the short run, do not provide the true relational health that we need in the long run. We know about people. We know facts and images, but we don't know people themselves, and they don't know us. We might have 500 friends on Facebook, but be utterly alone. You might have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but one that has never spoken vulnerably to you. You might post a new picture on Instagram every day, shouting to the world, see me, look at me, know me. But simultaneously being known and seen by no one. We can have all appearance of relationship without the reality. Many of us here this morning know the facts 
about Easter. You know that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. That he lived in Jerusalem, that he was a religious teacher, performed miracles, was betrayed by Judas, was crucified on Good Friday, and rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. However, these are just mere facts about Jesus. And merely knowing these facts don't mean that you know the person behind these facts. For Easter to come alive, you must move from merely knowing that Christ rose from the dead to knowing the Christ who rose from the dead. Did you hear that difference? One is to know a fact and another is to know a person. And we must be certain that Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, The facts point to it. The Word of God makes it certain. But just because you are willing to accept the argument that Jesus Christ was resurrected doesn't mean that you know the resurrected Christ. Just because you have quote-unquote read His Facebook profile doesn't mean that you know the person. And as your pastor, I am telling you that you must not merely know about Christ the image of Christ, but you must know the person of Christ. In our passage for this morning, we come to this encounter between the resurrected Christ and two men who are called His disciples. Now, these two men are not part of the inner circle of twelve disciples, but they may have been numbered among the seventy-two whom Jesus sent out in His ministry. They are men who had followed Jesus, had hoped in Jesus, and were deeply saddened by the death of Jesus. The whole scene, as we read in this chapter, is filled with irony. For these men, as they walk along this seven-mile road from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus, they lament the loss of Jesus even as He is walking right beside them. And we'll see that even though they knew the facts about the resurrection of Jesus, they did not recognize and they did not know their risen Savior. And this is my desire for each of you here today. Maybe you have been in church your whole life. Or maybe you are new to the story of Easter. Maybe you've heard that Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin, that He rose to open the way of eternal life, and maybe you are even willing to accept that this happened. You know the facts of Easter, and yet you're not sure what it means to know the Christ of Easter, to know the Christ who died, who rose, and who lives even now. This Easter, I invite you to come and to walk down the road to Emmaus, and encounter in the preaching of God's Word our living and risen Savior. So if you would, at this time, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want you to rise as we hear the Word of God read. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, will begin in verse 13. This is God's holy Word for us as people. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, 
What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we celebrate today the victory of Jesus Christ over death. As we now hear your word of grace, inspire us by the power of your spirit that we may respond with joy and boldness in declaring our union with Christ, share in the feast of his victory and live in the power of his resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Blindness is the first thing that we see in our text for this morning. The truth that by nature we are spiritually unable to see. And if you would know the resurrected Christ, every one of us must recognize this, this truth. We must become aware that we are blind to our blindness. We must admit that by nature, we're not just spiritually nearsighted, that we're a little fuzzy in our understanding, but rather that we can look into the very face of Jesus and still not see him for who he is. This truth is powerfully illustrated in what I call Cleopas's blind creed. Luke sets the scene for us, telling us that on Resurrection Sunday, there are these two disciples of Jesus solemnly walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. 
and all the while lamenting what has happened to Jesus on Good Friday. And while they are talking, the resurrected Jesus himself comes up beside them and joins in the conversation. However, these men do not recognize him. Now, we're not sure why they don't recognize Jesus. Maybe he looked different in some way. Maybe their grief kept them from seeing him. Maybe they just knew that Jesus died and dead people don't come and walk alongside of you. But verse 16 tells us that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You see, God had a plan to teach them and us how we are to come to know the risen Christ. Therefore, God in his providence kept these men from recognizing Jesus. He made them physically blind to Jesus's presence so that they might recognize their spiritual blindness. This inability to see is put on full display as Cleopas incredulously explains to Jesus all that has happened concerning Jesus. That is, he professes truth without seeing the reality. Look at verses 19 through 24 again. We see this creed. He, he says concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now Cleopas has the facts down fairly well, doesn't he? This statement is organized much like our own confessions of faith. It sounds a lot like the Apostles' Creed that we'll say later in the service. But there is something strangely absent from this list of facts. Namely, belief. This creed is absolutely blind. Imagine in your mind how that last line plays out. Cleopas is looking into the very face of Jesus and he says, But him they did not see. We must begin with this truth. We can know that Jesus was a prophet and a priest and a king. We can confess Jesus Christ crucified, dead, and buried. We can even confess on the third day He rose from the dead. We can look right into the face of the facts of the life of Jesus and be absolutely blind to the reality of His person. The Apostle Paul tells us that our spiritual enemy has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This truth is so important because many who are blind believe that they know Jesus because they know about Him. But to move from knowledge about Him to knowledge of Him, your eyes must be open. God must grant you the grace to taste and see that He is good. Not just a mere experience of emotionalism, But we're talking about a true experience in the heart whereby you know your risen Savior. 
Even as Presbyterian pastor in the 19th century, Henry Thornwall said, we must have the witness within ourselves that the author of our faith, our hopes, our joys is a living person. Do you know the risen Savior? Or are you just repeating a blind creed? Now we must realize that at any moment Jesus could have opened their eyes to see who he was. He could have said when Cleopas was done, when Cleopas said, and they did not see him, he could have said, hey guys, it's me. Look, I rose from the dead. But desiring to teach his whole church the truth of coming to know him, Jesus proceeds to show these two disciples how those who are spiritually blind gain sight, namely through God's word. Look at verse 27. See how Jesus approaches their inability to see and recognize him. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Where does Jesus take his blind disciples that they might see? He takes them to the word of God. He shows them the truth that all of scripture points to him. He is saying, if you want to know the risen Savior, then you must come to know Him in the Word of God. For it is here that you come to know His person. As you read of the first promise of the Gospel in Genesis, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. You come to know Him as you read in Exodus about the Lamb that was slain to save the households of Israel. You behold your Savior as you read of the blood sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. You come to know His healing power as you see the people of Israel healed from their disease in the book of Numbers. You learn to long for this Savior as you hear in the book of Deuteronomy that a prophet greater than Moses will arise. And time does not afford for us to see Him battling in Joshua, delivering in Judges, redeeming in Ruth, ruling in Samuel, judging and saving and dying and rising throughout the Psalms and the Prophets. If you want to know Jesus, then you must go to His Word. Go to the Bible and in faith see Him there. Come to the gathered body of Christ and meet Him in the preaching of the Word. Because Jesus is the Word made flesh. And the Bible is not merely words about God. They are God's very words. And they are not merely dead words on a page, but the Word of God is living and active. It has the power to bring life and to draw you into relationship. With the risen Christ. You see so often we fall into this trap. We think that there are better ways to come to know the risen Savior. We want Him to speak directly to us. We want Him to give us a sign to write in the sky that He is there. We want to know Jesus on our own terms. We want Jesus to be known through images. But the means by which God ordains that we would come to know His Son is in His very Word. The hem of Isaac Watts captures this truth well when he writes, Laden with guilt and full of fears, I fly to Thee, my Lord. And not a glimpse of hope appears, but in Thy written Word. 
The volumes of my Father's grace does all my griefs assuage. Here I behold my Savior's face in every page. Do you desire to behold your Savior's face? Do you desire your blind eyes to see the risen Savior? Then go to the volumes of your Father's grace, the very written Word of God. Now, one of the curious things that we read about in God's word concerning the resurrected Christ is how often he is eating. I guess rising from the dead makes you hungry. Because over and over again, as Jesus appears, he eats with his disciples. He's eating here. Later in verse 41, we'll see he eats again. Then in Acts chapter 1, before his ascension, he eats with his disciples again. And John, along the shoreline, he grills fish and has a picnic on the shoreline. Now, why is it that Jesus is continually eating? Well, one of the main reasons, and he even states this, is to show that he is not just merely a spirit. That Jesus physically rose from the dead. That he is a real and living person. But there's something more going on in this particular incident where Jesus eats with his disciples. See if these words, as I read them again, remind you of something else. We read, starting in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as he was going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Did you hear what Luke said? He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. This is almost exactly the same words he used earlier for the institution of the Lord's Supper that took place just a few days earlier. In Luke chapter 22 we read, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It is no mere coincidence. Luke is seeking to show us something very important. That is, here at the sacrament of bread and wine that we come to taste and see the reality of Christ. It is here that we remember what the Lord has done for us. It is here that our eyes are open to the reality of knowing the resurrected Christ. Because it is here that we do not merely remember what Jesus has done, but we have fellowship with the Jesus who has done it. Paul explains this truth in 1 Corinthians when he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This word that's translated participation is elsewhere translated fellowship. In Greek, koinonia. Paul explains that as we receive the bread and the cup in faith, we are spiritually entering into relationship with Jesus Christ. 
This doesn't happen magically or mechanically. Rather, as you partake of communion, trusting in the promises that Scripture makes, you have fellowship with Jesus Christ. For the bread is showing us that Jesus was offered up as a sacrifice for us. And the cup that His shed blood was shed to pay the penalty for our sin. That each of us are spiritually blind because we have sinned and we have been born into sin. And we need Christ to offer Himself as a sacrifice to pour out His blood and to cleanse us from our sin. So that we will not enter into eternal death and judgment. But rather, as we receive His body and His blood, we are freed from our sin and death. We are slow to remember these words. We forget so soon what Christ has done, but in His grace He has given to His church this visible sign, a physical reminder where might we come into communion, into fellowship, into true relationship with Him. You see, this is where we come to know the risen Savior. This is where we come to see that He is real. This is where our eyes are opened and we come not just to know about Jesus, but we come to know and receive Him personally. Even as He says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come into Him and dine with Him. And He with me. If you would know the risen Savior, you must see that you are blind on your own. You must seek Him in His Word. You must receive Him in the sacrament. And the final thing that we will see is that we must share Him with the world. In the last few verses of our text, we see again what happens when someone comes to know the risen Savior. They remember His words and they report the truth to others. In verses 33 through 35, we see how the disciples are telling each other about how they have met the risen Lord. We read, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Anyone who has had any extended conversations with me knows that the majority of my conversations these days have to do with my children. My oldest is 16 and my youngest is three. I have five in total. And this spread of ages over five children gives me plenty of topics of conversation from proms to sports to potty training. And it's not only natural for me to share about my family but it is an essential aspect of my relationship with those that I love. Because it's not merely enough to personally know my wife and my children and my family, but I am compelled to share their stories with others. And in sharing their stories, my relationship with them finds its ultimate completion that I speak of this relationship with others and draw them into what my family is doing. We love to speak about those that we love. We can't help to share their accomplishments and their successes because it completes those stories. 
And this is what happens when you know the resurrected Christ. You are compelled to share Him with others. You want other people to know that He is the Lord. You want others to know that He died to pay the penalty for sin. That He is risen indeed to save His people from death. And that He is coming again to make all things new. How will you come to know the risen Savior? You will come to know Him as you introduce Him to others. Now in a world that is ever more digitally connected, paradoxically we are growing ever more isolated and lonely, lacking true relationships. In a recent nationwide survey of Americans, it was reported that 60% of Americans are consistently lonely and isolated. I speak to many people, particularly young adults, who have almost no meaningful social interactions. We live in neighborhoods where we don't know our neighbors. We go to work and spend most of our time in cubicles on computers. We ride in our cars isolated from those all around us in traffic. We come home and we watch people on TV we don't know. Or we quote unquote connect with friends over Facebook or Instagram or text messaging. Our extended families live in other states. Our friends have taken jobs in other cities. And while we might be digitally connected to hundreds if not thousands of people, there is no one that you would say really truly knows you. Today, more than ever, it is easy to know about someone without truly knowing that person. It's easy to shout to the world in photos and videos, in posts, in a desperate attempt to be seen and still never be truly known by anybody in this world. But we weren't made to live in such isolation. We were made to know and to be known. And this living relationship begins with your relationship with the living God. In John 17, we learn this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life that you would know the risen Savior. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For I count all things as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now hear this, that I may know him. And the power of His resurrection. This is the power of the resurrection. Christ alive. And all those who know Him. Are joined to Him by faith. Will rise to life everlasting. This Easter. Do not be content. To know the dead facts. About Jesus. But rather come to know. The living Savior. Himself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.
Almighty God, we come to you now in this time and we pray that as your people hear your word preached and as they come to the meal of the cup and the bread, that their eyes would be opened. And even as the disciples on the road to Emmaus had their eyes open to recognize Jesus, might we too open our eyes and go from death to life through the life of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen.